welcome to Ogilav Nanagus. Conversations about Irish mythology with the story archaeologist Chris Thompson and Isolde Carmody at www.storyarchaeology.com Series 4, Rowing Around in Rama Episode 12, In Search of Mananon A description of the She of Lavrid, paraphrased from Loig's poem in the Sherglicka Cahullam Soft crimson beds there are, emblazoned gold and green, and brilliant precious stones shine out in place of candlelight. There, where the sun goes down, close at the western door, a stud of steeds, grey dappled mares, another crimson brown, and at the eastern gate, three tall and stately trees from which sing birds, immortal blooms, to fill the young with joy. The roof tree of the house glints silver in the sun, or lustrous gold poured out in full and matchless harmony. And threescore orchard trees all touching tip to tip, a hall they weave to feed the hosts with ripe and ready fruit. A fountain in the she is bright with speckled sun, the flush of trout in pools of light, Oaks pinned up with gold. A vat of merry mead to satisfy the house is kept forever foaming full. May that custom long live on. So I think we ought to start today by taking a look at one of the best known of all the other world characters who come into our stories. Yeah, and this one is really quite relevant to the whole Imrov team that we've been looking at and that theme of going into liminal spaces and trying to encounter a world that is somewhat beyond the everyday, very much like our monks on their quests. Yeah, or or what stands parallel to the everyday world, Mm. you know, the sort of hidden place, the, the one that's glimpsed by poets or find themselves chosen. Just like Bronn. And in previous episodes, we've met an awful lot of these characters, but perhaps the best place to start is with our lost hero, Mungon's biological, or rather mythological (laughs) father, Mananon (laughs) McLear. Now, at first glance, Mananon certainly seems to fit the profile Mm -hmm. of another world character. I was just thinking, maybe we should actually run through a few um, other world qualifications, yeah. interview him and a few other characters, as it were. <laughs> exactly. So, first question. Mm-hmm. It seems that other world characters can come and go, uh, appear and disappear at will. Yeah. So, Mongon could answer that one. Yeah, well, as we saw last time uh, when we were looking at the stories of Mongon and Cullum Kill, that at the end of their interview, uh, Mungon just disappears into the sunrise and no one knows where he's gone. Oh, you like I put him with the youngest monk? Yeah. Where'd he go? Exactly. And then, of course, if we interview Mither, how would he answer? Well, very classically, in the story of Mither and Aideen, which we did, I think, last series, Mither can just appear in the centre of the king's court, you know, even though he's put guards around oh, every this whole possible... Room bit. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's a locked room mystery, but he just appears in the middle and just whisks Aideen off with him. Yeah. If we were to ask Mananon the same question? Well, it's quite a similar thing with Mananon in the story of Cormac's Cup, uh, which we did a few in this series a few episodes back, um, where, again, 
Manalone just manages to appear inside the locked mm. cork of Cormac at Tara. And again, he's whisking away Cormac's oh, wife to the I other world. I love that bit. OK, well, let's try a completely new question. Mm-hmm. It seems that other world characters can choose to appear in a glamoured or a disguised shape. Oh, yes. And we've got a couple of really good ones on this. So, um, Mananon, how would Mananon answer that one? Well, Mananon, in that story of um, Mungon and Dovlaka uh, that we looked at, of course, he disguises himself as a tufted cleric and appears to <laughs> encourage yes. Mungon to go and avenge the death of his Have father. Have you ever thought about killing your father's yeah. killer in uh, his term? And he goes, what's well, up? All right. <laughs> well, I suppose it's a good idea. Yeah, yeah. I know, it's hilarious. Yeah. That bit. <laughs> and then, of course, Mongon, he would tell the story about uh, being at the outside the court of Brandoof, wouldn't he? Yeah, exactly. That, um, again, he and his wonderful trusty servant, Machandav, mm-hmm. they managed to change themselves into the appearance of some known royalty, yeah, no, let's no, say. No nobles from other, other provinces. Exactly, who yeah. Who Brandoff would actually recognise, exactly. or at least know, yeah, so they, and welcome into their court. So yeah. it must be a pretty good glamour. Oh, one. yeah, yeah, absolutely. And then, of course, Mither, um, he's pretty good at disguising himself too, isn't he? Yes, of course. Again, that wonderful story of Mither and Aideen, um, when he has put a love sickness onto Alil, which is uh, at that point the mortal Aideen's brother-in-law, and then of course Mither disguises <laughs> himself as Alil in order to <coughs> cure the love sickness. Yeah, it has to persuade Aideen that uh, I mean, after all, you want to save your brother-in-law, don't you? Exactly. And there's only one way you can do this. Yes, yeah. Talk about you. talking someone into it. Yeah. But the funny thing is, after the third night, and I noticed after the third oh, night, yeah. she says, "Actually, you're I know not you're him, not." Are you? <laughs> Now, does this mean that she actually can tell because she's been with uh, Eilil before? I know, yeah. You begin to wonder, don't you? You do, but... But it's a good disguise. It is, obviously, yeah. So let's um, go for another interview topic. Mm -hmm. Um, It seems that other world characters are not governed by time. Is this true? Well, certainly. I mean, we were talking last time again about how Mungon, we think, has certainly lived through many lifetimes. Whether it's all the animal forms he talks about with Cullum Kill, or whether it's um, the fact that he was once Finn in that story. Mungon certainly has been around a while. And Mither. Yeah, I mean, with Mither, he courts Aideen twice. A thousand years apart. Yeah, so that that (laughs) certainly is, you know, not bound by mortal timelines. And then to choose a new character, um, the woman Nira meets in the world. Yeah, now we've discussed the adventures of Nira on more than one occasion. It's It's a great story. We love it. Um, But of course, there's all that business when he's in the other world with his other world woman and he thinks that the... Uh, she of Kruokon has been attacked, but in fact she said, no, that hasn't happened yet. There's another year before that's going to happen. Mm. So there's all this playing around. A huge amount of playing around mm. with time in that one. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, we Not just... quite a thousand years, but it's pretty good. I, I think that at the time we compared uh, Nira and his cow, uh, the cow and the time the machine. The cow and the time yeah, machine, so... that's right. <laughs> And it got like that, didn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> You're not quite sure whether it's summer, winter or yeah. the other world. Another interview topic might be other world characters have special Dinshanika's knowledge mm. or, or poetic, prophetic abilities. Yeah, and I mean this is I think to do with truth telling and that truth telling also then is about giving good judgments, you know, so, or a right analysis, you know. So let's see how would Mongon answer? Well with Mongon definitely there's that link between him and the Dinhenica stories. I mean we had that story oh. where he shows up Yohu Rigegish, uh, who doesn't know it's Dinhenicus at all and Mongon manages to supply the right answer every time. And then again last time with Cullum Kill where it's all framed about around what is 
the history of this Loch Favel. Yeah. You know? As you said, I mean, reading the landscape exactly. is essential to these characters. Oh, it really And is. it does seem to be one of the um, definitions of another world character. Yeah. They can read the history of the landscape. Exactly. And prophesy the future in the same way yeah and it's often that thing that they've been here before in different forms you know mm -hmm. that's where I was sort of Mungon saying he had grazed it when he was a stag and swum on and around, around it, it when he was a human yeah yeah exactly <laughs> <laughs> okay well let's so, try Mither yeah well now with Mither he's got a couple of very interesting roles in that bit where he approaches Aideen and all of her handmaidens mm. all going swimming, um, he tells this long poetic history of Aideen as she was in the other world and he seems to make some uh, prophecies, although they're never really borne no, out. No, it's, it's almost as though she is more than she knows or even the story yes, tells. Yes, exactly, exactly. Yeah. So he certainly has that ability there. This is where I think that the truth-telling and the judgment comes in, that in that whole early part of Mither and Aideen, which is about Mither and Oingus as his foster son, that there's that whole business where Mither intervenes in a squabble and loses an eye, and so then he has to get reparation for that. And that's certainly about judgment. It really is. And then, of course, he advises Oingus to go off and demand and his birthright of land from the Dagda. There's quite a lot in that. And then, of course, Mananan, I think, is fairly obvious. We have the wonderful prophecy of Mongon. Exactly, yeah. And that, that's sort of one of that's... his longest speeches, really. So they will yeah. pass the test again. Exactly. OK, let's try... Um, uh, other world characters have special abilities or can uh, achieve super feats. Yes. Yeah. I think they'd all pass that one, too. Yeah. I mean, Malanan certainly does, doesn't he? With the land under wave and the... Oh, yeah. And, I mean, even in that uh, poem that gives the prophecy of Mungon, he talks about how he sees the sea as this great flowered plain. So, you know, again, it's this thing where he can move over the sea as if it was the land, you know, and that's one of... And his horse helps as well. Well, yeah, the horse, obviously, because <laughs> if he could move on sea as if it was land and his horse couldn't then <laughs> that would be quite they might be in trouble you keep his head above water yeah. but that'd be the horse. You'd be, you just see him holding onto the horse yeah. with his knees and yeah. the horse is drowning exactly no. Yeah. no that wouldn't be very dignified <laughs> and he's got a load of magical stuff oh, that he's yeah. always handing out so I mean Mongorn well there's loads of it I mean he, oh do you remember where he shape, shape shifts the hag at the mill yes and it, turns her into a beautiful young woman exactly yes so yeah. at that point he's not only uh, disguised himself mm. he's also showing super feats there yeah and of course that's all part of his plot to get his hands on Brandov's treasures as well, you know. So, yeah, that's that's super feats of a kind. And then there's another superhero, Kuroi. We haven't actually, we should have brought him into all of them. Oh, yeah, so, yeah. But this give one... Give him at least one question to answer. Exactly, particularly. And if we go back again to, we did three episodes or four even on Fled Vrikrin. He does some pretty good super feats. Yeah, I mean, the big one there is the beheading game, <laughs> you know, that he can get his head chopped off and then happily pick it up and walk off yeah, with it, you know. my head. Yeah. <laughs> well, bother me a bit. Exactly, exactly. Exactly. So. Though, mind you, Mananan can seemingly manage this trick himself, but yeah. that's a later. That's it a is. story we'll come to a bit we'll later. We'll come back to that, yeah. And, of course, all good other world characters must have a stronghold, or at oh, least yeah. one, mustn't they? Yeah. I mean, Malanan's a well-known, he has so islands, I suppose, they're both mythological and actual because yeah. he's so closely associated with Man and Isle. Yeah, but there, there are all these islands to the northeast, you know. I mean, often his realm is called Evan Avluk, you know, the island of apples, which is, I think, more on the mythological side. But yeah, yeah all those islands to the northeast, Isle, Man, even Rathlin Island, you know, yeah. and yeah. Kantyre, they're all kind of... They're all very closely. So yeah. real and mythological. Exactly, but yeah. 
yeah. feast. Yeah, yeah, always. Well, I suppose Mongol, well, he, interesting enough, he, his stronghold effectively is the whole of Ulster. Yeah. And yet he has access, continuous access, to many of the Shimans, not yeah. just one. He doesn't have one as a home. Mm. He can open any of them. Exactly, yeah, and he's welcoming any of them right the way down to Granard, as we found, you know, in that story of Mongol and the, the poor scholar, the little student sent off on his mission. Um, and then, of course, with Mither, we've talked before about how he's so strongly associated with Breleth, you know, in Longford, which, again, not far off Granard, really, in that whole mm-hmm. part of the country. But Breleth is absolutely, you know, it's she-Mither. But he is also associated with Schlievenamon, which is mm-hmm. further south, uh, also known as She-Arfeven. You know, so there's there's a few and mentions. Trim? Yeah, she trim is another yeah. one that he's associated with. So he's got a few that are kind of dotted around the Breleth. Breleth really yeah. is, you know, his home. We ought to mention again. I mean, Kuroi. Oh yeah. Well, I mean, he is so firmly associated with Kerry, and you know, my favourite bit of Kerry, of course, with Car Cunry, uh, which is you know Kuroi's seat or Kuroi's. Uh, enclosure, you know, and yeah. there is the promontory fort up there. There's the river Finglas, which, of course, you know, Blonard escapes with Cúchulainn by pouring milk into the river. It's so deeply embedded in that yeah. landscape. And I suppose we should have said, in fact, Kuroi could answer questions on any character. Oh, yeah, exactly. Yeah, he fits a lot. He does. It? Yeah, very, very strong so. other world character. Yeah, yeah. Again, not so well known. In no, many ways. yeah, but uh, unless you're like me, unless you come from Gary. <laughs> <yeah>. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Well, we've spent the last three episodes, three episodes talking about, you know, the wonder son of man and all. So it's about time we went and looked at the man of man himself. Yeah, we ought to. Yeah. Now, um, he is very well known as a mythological character. Surprisingly I've, so. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I've spent a few days just asking people, both people who were educated in England, people who were educated here or, you know, a little bit of both, do you know the name Malamon McLear? You know, and one that I got earlier was, yeah, he's sea god, sort of Neptune type. It's sorry, he's in D&D. He is, yeah, yeah, and exactly. And I found that children will, in schools, yeah. will, may, may have heard of Malamon. Yeah. If nothing else, they certainly know him as the father of the children of Lear. So it's a well-known name, it's anyway. Certainly, it's a bit like when we were talking about Mongon and uh, Taliesin. Yes, that exactly. People will, a lot of people will know the name Taliesin. Yeah. But uh, Mongol? I know, yeah. Of course, he appears in the Welsh stories. Oh, yeah. He's Brown's brother, Mm -hmm. counsellor, and probably the chief poet. Yes. Uh, What's his name? Manawyrthan. Manawyrthan, yeah. And, uh, of course, he marries Rhiannon after the death of Paul. Yeah. So he's in two branches of Mabinod. Yeah. So it's quite important. Yeah. And, of course, he almost fills this role of patron saint of the isle that's in Irish stories often called Falga, which is, of course, the Isle of Man, which is sort of named for him. It's a Mm. bit sort of... The the island is named after Mananon, and Mananon is named after the island. You know, Mm -hmm. they're they're very, very closely intertwined. And, of course, he's said to guard the island and be able to hide it in a mist of protection. Exactly, very much like Kuroi does with his stronghold yeah. down in Kerry. If you like, he's the sort of St. Patrick of the Isle of Man. Didn't you say there was images of him wearing a bishop's mitre? Oh yes, you know, we ought to get on and look at some of his stories. Yeah, well, I mean, that's the funny thing. It's rare that Mananon is the main protagonist he's in his story. Yeah, he's mentioned, but it's often as this kind of coda or this deus ex machina you know that the story is yeah. all told and then there's that little bit at the end yeah. saying and it was man and man all along and he would have got away with it if it wasn't for those pesky kids you know <laughs> or and then they woke up and it was all man and on oh it must have been man and on. yeah well let's take another look at some of the stories we've already covered i mean the ones that man and on's in not the yeah. whole lot <laughs> although it does feel like <laughs> it sometimes <laughs> 
Well, in many ways, it's that story of Bren McFevel that is the most important in many uh, ways. Yeah. Even at the time when we looked at it, we got this feeling that he was very godlike. Yeah, well, know? it certainly alerted the monks. Yeah. Who were very clear that it, it must be their god who was being referred to, not Mananan. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And hence all these interpolations all the way along where the poor old scribe is trying to figure out when is he talking about Mungon? When is he talking about Jesus? And then, you you know, who's creating does? whom? I don't know. Just keep writing the poetry. Exactly, yeah, yeah, yeah. But it does have some beautiful descriptions of the other world. Oh, yeah. And, you know, you can go and look back and listen to the very first Imrov episode, which was about the whole story of Bran McFevel. And, of course, there's parts of the text that are up mm. on our blog that you can read. So, yeah, that's where you'll get all the details. Well, throughout the stories of Mungon, Manon kind of does keep quite hands-on. I mean... He saves Fiekna from danger for a start before Mungo's even born. Exactly. You know? And that's what the venom is cheap. Yeah, one of our favourites. <laughs> but it's it's not only that. I mean, Mananon also kind of takes Mungon away with him to the other world to keep him safe until he has grown up at least 16 yeah, years. Yeah, he won't bring him back until no, he's adult. Exactly. Even though they asked for it. They do, yeah, yeah. So he's kind of fostered him and kept him safe in the other world. But he also then appears, as we just said, yeah, yeah. as this little tufted cleric or monk who kind of goads Mungon into going and seeking vengeance for his father's yeah. death. And presumably after Mungon's death, he organises his return to the other world islands. Mm. Well, I think what's most interesting is that although he initiates Mungon's birth and mm. keeps him safe he also ensures that Mongol won't have any legitimate offspring yeah and therefore he can't found a dynasty yeah and of course neither can Mananan yeah nobody can be from the dynasty of Mananan yeah no which is a really interesting one when we were discussing the whole uh, story of why Mungon was deprived of noble issue. But we've already mentioned Mananon's role in the story of Cormac. In the story of Cormac's cup, he is supporting Cormac's quest for good judgments and for a true kingship. And of course, that's where we hear about the apple branch. Yeah. One of the times we hear about the apple branch. And he's just trying to get him over to the land of promise. Yeah. Um, not to prophesy Mongon this time, no. but to give him the cup of truth. And along the way, he shows Cormac these sort of allegorical wonders, which then support this role role of judgment and kingship. In many ways, the role Mananon is playing is as the conscience of the king. He is the poetic judge in that relationship. But of course, he's referenced in loads of other stories. I mean, there's the 14th century story of the children of Turin, yeah. where he's been busy fostering Lou himself and giving him loads of treasure yeah. and armour and all the good stuff. Yeah. And I mean, uh, the children of Turin even end up borrowing his boat, yes. you know, his wave sweeper. Yeah, to go off on their completely pointless quest, as it turns out. There is also a mention that in fact after the whole story of the sons of Ushlu um, that he brings Deirdre's children away to the land of promise and fosters them. And then, of course, there's a treasure bag. Yeah. Um, you remember that wonderful treasure bag we used um, for the Solstice special? Back in 2013, yeah. crane skin bag. Exactly. And that ends Mananon. up in Finn's hands, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Even though it was Mananon who made it. But in all of these stories, they're not really stories about Mananon. He is this initiator of action in others and it seems almost as though his fathering of Mungon that's the most active part he plays <laughs> and he said it was energetic oh yeah <laughs> I mean his appearance in Brown McFevel now that is the earliest we can date him to isn't it yeah I think so I mean the story itself and particularly the poetry as we said before is probably early 8th century some people have put it back to 7th century but in Professor Carey's writings about it he kind of puts it in that early 
eighth century, so 700 to 750 for the dating. But there is another kind of early to middle Irish story in which he makes an appearance. This is the next one where he shows up, and that's in the Shergliga Con Cullen. So that's the, the sick lying, although it's really the love sickness of Cú oh. Cullen. Now, yeah. that is a very interesting oh, yeah. tale. <laughs> and that's got, of course, the same cast of characters that we, we meet in many of the epic Ulster tales. Yes. So it's the same as very like Fledbricker. Yeah, absolutely. Now, this really is a wonderful story and it is worth a whole episode in mm. itself. And we will, I would say, certainly <laughs> be coming back to this one. And it's full of some really gorgeous early poetry, which, of course, I want to get my teeth into. Yeah, and there's lots of interesting customs as yeah. well. I mean, this is the text that mentions the swords. Yes. Um, the ones that would speak about the deeds it had done. Yeah. I'm just going to quote a bit of this because it's just too good. Yeah. The warriors would have their swords lying across their thighs when showing off their trophies because their swords would turn against them if they held a false trophy. The reason for this was because demons were accustomed to speak to them from their arms. Yeah, and of course this was discussed in Jacqueline Borges' yeah. article about demons and weapons. And it's full of customs about how they organise their trophies yeah. and, and all the feasting and how you organise everything. Yeah, uh, uh, yeah, but I'm afraid we're only going to be able to outline the story. Exactly, yeah. We'll be yeah. here next week. Yep. <laughs> so we have the sick line of Cahullam. Now it all starts at a great sowing gathering. All is going well, but while the Ulstermen are waiting for Connell Kermode and Fergus McRoy, they play at Fischl. It's while they're doing this that this beautiful flock of birds just sort of lands on the nearby lake. Mm. And, of course, all the women begin to quarrel about getting them as adornments or yeah. pets. I don't know. But they all want the birds. Yes, yeah, yeah. I'll just read that bit from the text because it's really funny. King Concover's wife said... I must have a bird of these birds on each of my two shoulders. Oh, we must all have some, said the other women. And if anyone's to get them, it is I that must first get them, said Ethna, Cahullan's lover. Yeah. So it's, it's just all this quarrelling. You know? Cahullan does agree that he's going to go and get the birds. They don't give him any choice. No, well, uh, yeah, he likes pleasing the women, let's face <laughs> it. Um, and he distributes these pairs of birds to all the women of Ulster, but they run out before he's got to his own lover, Ethna Ingova. And this really upsets her. I mean, she says that the reason he has given birds to every other woman except her is because he loves all these women, but she only loves him and she's all left out. So then Cuchulain again tries to appease her and he said, the next time we see a pair of birds, I'll get them for you. They do come across a pair of birds. This is near Bruna Boyne, uh, but this is a pair of birds linked by a golden chain. So no ordinary pair here. Yeah, yeah. now of course he's got Lloyd with him as he always does. Yes, companion and charity. Right here, yeah. And in spite of Lloyd's warnings, and he's going, they're not ordinary birds. Yeah. Look, you better leave them alone. He <laughs> takes no notice. Colin never does take any notice no. and casts a sling stone. Yeah. And to his absolute horror, he misses. Because Colin <laughs> never, never misses. <laughs> so in sheer anger, he flings a spear that wings one of the birds. Yeah. And they disappear beneath the water. Yeah. Now, I mean, this has a lot of Gesh-like qualities about yeah. it. The birds, particularly in the story of the conception of Cúchulain. It's a bird flock that turn into other world people that are his other world parents. Yeah. So he is, if you like, related 
to the birds and therefore must never kill them. I think yeah. Kunra has something very similar and yeah, it all yeah, goes yeah, very yeah. badly wrong yeah. for Kunra. So this has all the shape of gash breaking yeah, about yeah, it. Yeah. First thing that happens, you get thoroughly beaten up by a couple of other world women. Yes, and this is quite a nice little piece because they're both satirising him but then they're also, you know, they give a satire and then they beat him with a big stick. With a lash and of satire or otherwise. Exactly, but it's this word tibida and tibida comes from the verb Duben, and uh, it means both uh, laughter, particularly mocking laughter, and it means a physical beating. So they are doing both to him <laughs> simultaneously and taking turns having a go at him as well. well it's pretty tough because he he's left, he can't even speak for a year. I know, I know. <laughs> Now, over the rest of the story, which is long and convoluted, um, there's the various efforts to get Cúchulán back to physical health and to sanity as well. Yeah, and Cúchulán's just his worst enemy throughout the whole story. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he starts off really badly because he refuses to be taken home to his <laughs> wife, Ava, to look after him. Yeah, you know, we are going to have to summarise this story a bit. It's oh. as briefly as we can if we're ever going to get to the bit where Mananama gets into it. Exactly, yeah. Uh, okay, well, after a year when Cúchulán hasn't said a word, a messenger shows up and he speaks a poem that enables Cúchulán to get well enough. So get out he, of bed at least. Yeah, gets out of bed. He returns to the spot where those two women had beaten him up. And there he meets one of them, Lee Bon. And uh, she tells him about her sister Fan. Now that's the other one, isn't it? The other yes. one who was, if you like, the bird. Probably yeah. the bird. Yeah. And uh, now we know about her because she was Mananan's woman. Yeah. And he abandoned her. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, she then found it necessary, found found it necessary to leave Mananon's Isle and come and stay with her sister Libon, and also with Libon's husband, who's called Lavrid of the Quick Hand to Sword. Good that. Now, they, of course, are completely otherworld characters Absolutely. themselves. And uh, they live in a typical otherworld location. Yeah. Now, their, their home is given as Magmel, a yeah. very familiar otherworld location. Yeah. Although this is definitely a mainland location. Absolutely. It's here in the country, yeah, yeah. not on some island somewhere. Yeah. Libon tells how her sister Fan has <coughs> conceived an affection for <laughs> Cúchulán. Well, haven't they all? They really have. It's kind of, I suppose, saying that that's the cause of Cúchulán's love sickness, yeah. you know, is because Fan really wants him. There is this kind of exchange proposed whereby Lavrid will somehow present Fan on a plate to Cúchulán <laughs> in exchange for Cúchulán coming to Lavrid's place to help with a difficult battle that they have yeah. coming up. Now, at this stage, Cúchulán, he really doesn't want to go. He claims that he's still too ill. And so instead, he sends his trusty companion and charioteer off to get the lay of the land for him and report so, back. So we've got Loig again. We do, indeed. Yeah. Oh, he's the giver of much good advice to Cúchulán all throughout. Oh, Brooklyn, yeah. Isn't he? Yeah, he's yeah. always the one who says, "Have a bit of sense." He does, or he he just slags off Cuchulain until he gets up and does something, which is his other main role, it seems. <laughs> and then, of course, we have Loig's wonderful journey to Magmel. Yeah, now it's beautifully described. I mean, he's he's going all over the place, but eventually he comes to this wonderful liminal space. It's a sort of misty island seen through a lake. Yeah, and there, in almost archetypal imagery, is this copper boat, this shining yes. boat, which is laying in the shallows of the lake. Yeah. And as he gets into that boat, he's drawn through the mist mm -hmm. and into 
the island. It's beautiful. Yeah. It's so sort of archetypal of a world. It, really it reminds is. us it doesn't have to be over the sea. Over the sea. Yeah. It can either be an entrance under the ground mm-hmm. or a journey across the lake. Mm. Now, all I'm getting in my head at the moment is the end of Monty Python and the Holy Grail. <laughs> what I intended. No. But there you are. It is that archetypal yeah. misty view. Yeah. That's actually the uh, description that I paraphrased at the start of this yeah, uh, the episode. Story. Well, Kukulun finally has gotten up enough energy to go and send a message to his long-suffering wife, Ava. But time. The, the content of the message is essentially, <laughs> it's not my fault. I didn't do it. The fairy woman made me do it. I had no choice. <laughs> well, she comes rushing down. Yeah. Sits by the bed and tells him, you are an absolute <laughs> disgrace yeah basically there's poetry tearing strips off him for being such an idiot and of course then Loig returns and he has his poetic description of the other world that he's been to and he passes on Liban's direct invitation to Cuchulain to come over to this island now he's a bit stronger I mean Farima's pep talk yeah he, he has enough energy to say to Loig there's no way I'm going to accept an invitation from a woman. Yeah. Go back and tell him that. Yeah. <laughs> Poor Loic. And so it goes on. And after some sort of long, long story, Cahulan finally does go to Magmel and he does fight the battle. And of course, he defeats the hosts of Lavra's enemies single-handed. Yeah. He just tells Lavra to go away. Yeah. I'll do it. Yeah. But mind you, by the time he's finished, they have to get the normal three vats to yeah. cool him down. Yeah. Exactly. They put him into cold water and that boils. Yeah. And they put him into the second vat and that boils yeah. And, yeah, and so on. Yeah, exactly. The usual. The usual <laughs> and yeah. stuff. Mind you, it becomes clear in a somewhat confused poem that Cuchulain speaks after the battle that he really has no clue why he's been fighting. Yeah, just to quote one quatrain. I threw a cast of my spear into the court of Owen of Inver. I do not know path of fame. Is it good I have done? Or is it evil? And he goes on like that for some yeah. time and he just doesn't understand no, he what no he's clue. been doing. Yeah, and what's more, you know, he's not clear about who he's been fighting either. But it does say that the enemy forces that Labrador wants him to fight were the hosts of Man and Arm. They're the enemy forces. That's the enemy. And so in this story, we have this mainland other world, which is this island on a lake, it's Magmel. Our at war or fighting right. Mananon's other world. And his wife was the sister of the enemy. Yeah. And Fand has had to leave him or yeah. has decided to leave him yeah. and join her sister's people. Yeah, who are the mainland of the world. Now, there is another part of the story that's really worth telling. I mean, even if it's not kind of directly involving Mananon. Oh, you mean the bit where Emus had enough? Yeah. And goes and has a load of knives made, then arms herself with these freshly forged knives and goes after fans. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's a wonderful bit. I mean, as well as just describing how Ava's had enough and commissions these knives to be made, but she brings a host of women with women, her. women, that full host. Exactly, yeah. yeah. To where Cuchulain and Loig are sitting having a game of fiddle and Fanda's there as well and sort of spots this host and goes what's that? (laughs) Emer or Aver says basically look behind you here I come with my good blades and my host of women and we can fight as well as the warriors on the field of battle so there's this great bit of poetry where Aver is basically threatening them all which ends with well does Aver daughter of Fergal change (laughs) colour She's in a rage. Absolutely, yeah. But at that point, Cuchulain 
essentially puts himself between his wife and his lover. He says he will protect Fond and he repudiates Aver, his own wife. Yeah, he basically says that he's leaving her and he's going to stay with this other world woman after all. But it's all that stuff about, uh, why shouldn't I have such a woman as beautiful as this? I am the best, I am the greatest hero you're ever going to meet, so why shouldn't I have what I want? Exactly, yeah. What a thing to say to To his his long-suffering wife. I mean, at this point, it really is kind of too much for Aver. You know, there's Cúchulainn having just uh, repudiated her. So she says, right, fine, I'll leave you That's if she that's what you want. deflates like a balloon. Yeah. It's really sad. It is, yeah. But, I mean, what's more at this point, then Fand thinks this is too much. And she says she'll step back. She'll leave Cúchulainn because Aver has this prior claim. And there's kind of this sort of polite match between the two women going, no, you haven't. Oh, no, you haven't. It's a sort of desperate um, melodrama. Yeah, yeah. I shall leave. No, it is me who should leave. (laughs) And they're both sort of battling in words. Exactly. It's very like the sort of Ulster women's war of words, but slightly in reverse. (laughs) By this time, Cahoolan's just vacillating. He can't make up his mind. And in the end, it's Fan who makes up his mind for him. And she walks away from Exactly. Yeah. And it's then that Mananan comes back into the story because he turns up and says to Fand, would you like to come back to me? Mm. She gets her own back by saying, well, I'd rather stay with Cahoolan, but if he won't have me, okay, I'll All have right. you back. Yeah. And just as she walks away at this very sad moment, mm. there's Mananan again. Mm-hmm. And uh, I suppose he's lost the battle and got nothing to lose. And yeah. he sort of says, would you like to come back to me? Mm. She looks at Cullen, looked at him and said, I'd rather stay with Cullen, but since I can't, I'll come with you. Yeah. Then Malinan takes his famous cloak and he shakes it between her and Cullen as a symbol that they'll never meet again. Yeah. Yeah. And basically that's the end of it, well, yeah. almost. Just about, just when you think it's all kind of settled and so on, Cullen finally <laughs> loses the plot <laughs> completely and essentially it changes from a shared like the sort of sick lying or the love sickness into a ballet a frenzy he just runs away he runs amok yeah, yeah. <laughs> we were looking uh, in the last episode mm. as to whether the Shergliger becomes a Bolya. yeah and here they do yes absolutely. you know I was reminded of Lancelot and yeah. Elaine and Guinevere yeah and here is exactly that situation yeah, yeah. this is almost the prototype story for that yeah this moment between the two of them exactly it's where the hero can't decide between the woman who's kind of legally his and the woman that he desires who's not legally his and he goes married someone else yeah oh well exactly. there's plenty of done that yep <laughs> well Cuchulain is kind of talked down from this balia by the druid and they have this drink of forgetfulness it's a drink with herbs in it that will make him forget the entire incident and they give it to Cuchulain but they also give it to Aver oh. and now the subtitle of this whole tale is it's the sick line of Cuchulain or the only jealousy of Aver. So they give it to her so that she forgets the only time when she actually, you know, didn't want to put up with Cúchulainn's philandering anymore. So they are both made to forget the entire story. So I suppose we're actually supposed to be talking about Mananan and yeah. not Cúchulainn. <laughs> um, maybe summarise what Mananan's role is in this story. Yeah, Fand has been abandoned by Mananon, and she goes and joins forces with his enemies. Yeah, so it seems that Mananon is part of the enemy forces that are actually opposing Lavrid. Mm. Um, so that the best-known otherworld character from both the sea mm. is at war with the otherworld mainland forces of the famous Magmel. Yeah, it's a bit unexpected, yeah, all right. it is. I mean, I also have this feeling that 
that wonderful image of Mananon shaking his cloak between Fand and Cúchulainn, it almost feels like an afterthought to me because Fand has already said she won't stay with Cúchulainn, you know, so she's repudiated him. And then you have the Druy who are giving this drink of forgetfulness to both Cúchulainn and Aver. So it's two, so, two stories for the same thing. Exactly. So what what's the point then yeah. in the cloak? You know, Sounds I just feel it's added on. Superfluous. Yeah. What I, has struck me is that this battle has nothing to do with the mortal world. Yeah. Cúchulainn's confusion and having no idea which side is the goodies and which yeah. side is the baddies. Yeah. And I don't think anybody does mm. because it's the other world fighting the other world. Yeah. Not, it's not a mortal battle. Yeah. I wish we could say more about this story. Oh, I know. It is such a great one. We will go into it in great detail in a future episode, we promise. Okay, back to our search for Mananan. Yeah. So, uh, what's next? Where does Mananan turn up next? Well, in terms of chronologically, I suppose, you know, in the ages of stories, the next one would be in Cormac's Cup. But we have we, already covered we've talked that. a lot about that. Yeah, we have, we? certainly. Now, there are some late Middle Irish, early modern Irish tales that concern Man Anon that we should have a look mm. at. Um, first of all, there's this story, Altrum Tigadaw Vether, uh, which is usually translated something like the fosterage of the House of Two Pails. Or <laughs> yeah, it doesn't really work in English. Two drinking vessels. <laughs> exactly, yeah. And that comes out of the Book of Fermoy, which is the same 14th century source as we found the story of Mungon and Dovlaka. But this story is also very much part of the uh, La Book of Orla strand, yeah. isn't it? I mean, that strand of storytelling concerns the settling of Ireland right from the beginning of the arrival of Kessa mm-hmm. to the Sons of Mill. Yeah. Sometimes known as the Book of Invasion. Yes, yes, or the Taking of Ireland. And this tale takes place post-Sons of Mill. Yeah. Now, again, I'm sure we've said before, and we will say again, this is not about some Celtic invasion. Series of physical invasions. Exactly, yeah. I mean, it's really what it's part of is that Middle Irish project of synchronism, where they're taking biblical history and Irish mythological history and trying to weave them all into one, one coherent tale. narrative. Exactly, yeah. yeah. Now, in this kind of Leverick of all a strand, as we're terming it, it's very different in character and quality to the sort of mythological Moitura strand that we were looking at particularly in mm. series two. They have a very different flavour to them. Totally different flavour. Yeah. As I say, it's this sense of pseudo-history. Yeah. However, it's got some really good stuff. I mean, for instance, that's where you'll find the Tour de Dolan landing in their cloud yeah. ships. <laughs> and it starts with that and ends with baptism and death. Yeah. <laughs> Yes, these, this is the kind of strand where you find all those stories where there's all this going into the fairy land, but when they come back, 300 years have passed and they get baptised by a saint and then immediately die. Yeah, it happens so, more than once. Yeah. It always put me off the Children of Lear. Exactly. Honestly. This story that we're going to look at now yeah. ends with exactly the same thing. It does thing. indeed, yeah. Although we're not going to deal with that, nope. are we? <laughs> we're only going to look at kind of the first five sections because yeah. that's where Mananon has the most active Oh, Another important thing about this strand is that this is where the, the Donnan also have to change. Yeah. That they stop being, as it were, the people of Ireland. Yeah. Yeah. And they become the people of the Hollow Hills. Mm. So the house of the two pails or the house of the two drinking vessels. Yeah. At the start of this story, they call in Mananan mm. to um, give advice to the Tour de Don and they've just been defeated by the Sons of Mill. Mm. Um, they're now a sort of basically displaced people. Yeah. And he says, well, 
the best thing you can do is go and hide yourself. Yes. <laughs> Which is not bad once you've been defeated. Yeah. And uh, Mananan and both Derek become their joint rulers. Yeah. Now, this is interesting because both of Derek, uh, who's sometimes both Derek and more modern Irish, um, he only appears in these Lavergavola Strand stories, kind of out of nowhere. Um, like he shows up in uh, The Children of Lear. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think he shows up in The Children of Turin, Turin as yeah. well. Um, and here he is again in this same strand as one of the kings. He's usually given as the son of the Daikta. Mm-hmm. But I think that this is a very rare occasion where the feminine character of the Bive mm-hmm. or Morrigan has been masculinized. I mean, the words Bive and Bove, they are, there's no distinguishing between them linguistically. Uh, he's given this epithet of Derek, you know, that he's read. Yeah, but you've got to remember, people think about the Morrigan as she is at the Battle of Clotard. Yeah. All dressed in grey. The colour that's most associated with her is crimson. Exactly, yeah. And in that wonderful Toynbo Regevna as well, where she shows up all dressed in red with that weird one-legged red horse. <laughs> so, you know, it kind of is saying the red bive, you know, the red scald crow. And the Morrigan is so closely paired with the Dagda all the time. Yeah. And yet when we get to this strand, we get this supposedly male Bove Derek who is again paired with the Dagda as his son so I do think this is like I say a rare occasion whereby a female character has been masculinized in order to fit into later sensibilities let's say she devolves into a battle hag yeah and the true Morrigan yeah. goes, goes on yeah as Bove Derek yeah it sort of makes sense yeah. doesn't it yeah well, whatever, here she he is, yeah. uh, um, along with Mananan, dividing up the she-mounts. Yeah. I like the way it's actually in the text. Mananan ordained the settlement of the nobles in their magic dwellings. He taught the nobles their array at Shebru and to carry on their mansions in the manner of the people of the fair-sided land of promise. Mm. Puts Mananan in charge. It does, yeah. So they've all been given their actual places, the she-mounts, islands, hills, any other world location. Mm. It's not just the mountains. Yeah. Basically every location that's parallel to the everyday world or which lies underground. Yeah. But this isn't underground as a nasty place of death and dust. No, this is much more like the way that Nera got into the other world through yeah. Kruakan. The gateway leads underground, but when you come out, you're in this beautiful, you know, perpetual summertime living place, you know? Yeah. It's just, it's a gateway rather than going underground. Yeah. So, it, But it's curious, for the first mm. time, the the other world has been separated. Yeah, exactly. Completely from the mortal world. Yeah. Uh, before that, they seem to be just parallel existences. Exactly. Now they are separate. Yeah, yeah. The other interesting thing is, is it talks about these traditions that oh, are yeah. set up by Mananan. Yeah. Mananan's renewable pigs. Yes. We met those in Cormac's Cup. We did, we? yeah, yeah. And these renewable pigs are often associated with Mananan. Yeah. But this is what the uh, Dodonan eat mm. to stop them from dying. Yeah. Now, I find that really weird because there's no suggestion mm. before this that they needed a, a feast. Yeah, yeah. Um, like, oh, I don't know, like the gods of Olympus or yeah, the Chinese yeah. emperors, the Jade yeah. Emperor, etc. I'm not a great expert. They have the peach feast. Similar to Kunla's apple, as we met in the story of Tyke, yeah. that there all they had to eat was this one apple that would always renew itself. There's one more thing that Malalan says, and this really worries me. Yeah. He says he's to be over every wedding and the feast of every lord. 
I mean, for a start, using the word Lord like yeah. that, darn well feels like droit de seigneur to me. It does. I mean, it's it's very kind of feudal in that sense. Yes. It feels very much like he is the feudal Lord. Who and has the rights of all those yeah. lower than him. Exactly. You know, you, or you've always had your gentry, as it yeah. were. But they were all equal. And mm. by the way, they fight each other all the time as well. Mm. Suddenly now, Mananan is presenting himself as a Norman feudal yeah. overlord. Yeah, absolutely. It's hard to get away from that. It is. Our tale of the house of two pails or drinking goblets or however you want to translate it. This is ridiculous. I know, I know. That's why I prefer calling it Altrum Tickle Thaw Feather. Yeah, uh, right. It now moves into really very familiar territory because all of a sudden here's Elkfar. Oh, we've heard of him before. We certainly have. I mean, it was him at the beginning of Mither and Aideen. He's the one who had possession of the brew and that Oingus, with the Dagda's help, kind of managed to get possession of it from him. Yeah, yeah. it's all verbal trickery Exactly. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he asked for the brew for one day and night and then keeps it by saying that all time is made up of days and nights. Yeah. So there. Exactly. But in Aideen and Mither, there's sort of an equal exchange. Elkvar's given the house next door. Elkvar also so loses his wife for a while. He, he does, temporarily, yes. He's sent off on some fool's errand for nine months so that the Dagda and uh, Bowen can have their way together. So, I mean, he's a bit of a stooge, but he's not exactly hated, I would say, in Aideen and Mither, you know, and he does end up compensated in various ways. Yeah, well, this story also tells how Oingus gained possession of the same brew. Yeah. But, you know, it's completely different the yeah, way it's told. It really is. Now, Mananon is said to be off making a sort of a high king's circuit of all of the she-mounds of Ireland. And <laughs> so while he's off on this circuit, Elkfar sends his foster son, Oingus, to go and find Mananon and invite him to a hugely lavish feast that will be held at Elkfar's place at Brunaboyne. This wonderful and house. It is just this, the bestest of the bestest otherworld house you could imagine. And indeed, when all the guests arrive for this big feast, every one of them is jealous. They all they want really it. They all love it. Yeah. I mean, there's a bit of description in the text, although mm. it's broken up. Mm. Not all of it is available, but there's bits of it. A beautiful bronze floor... And uh, structures of Findrother, that's the white... Uh, yeah, that's the uh, white, white bronze, bronze on the floor. Yeah. Well-shaped silver couches uh, with beautiful posts with shapely edges to them and crimson birds sweetly singing on tops of each of the corners of these posts. I mean, it sounds absolutely fantastic. Oh, it does. Yeah, yeah, totally. Well, they have a great party. Mm -hmm. They have a fantastic party. They party for four days. Yep. And at the end of the fourth day, everyone is Unconscious is the way it's put. Yes, passed out from enthusiasm, is how my mother once put it. <laughs> Leaving just Mananan and Oingus. Yeah. And they, for some reason, they are, they're still sober. Yeah. Or at least still, still conscious. Yeah. <laughs> but what happens is Mananan starts suddenly pouring poison in uh, Oingus's ear. Yeah. He's going, you know, you could have this place if you just got rid of Elkvart. Now, you could always use luck and prosperity. This phrase of luck and prosperity. Now, it seems to be some sort of formulaic phrase. It yeah. comes up repeatedly it's in this It's almost tale. like the name of an incantation mm. or the name of a spell. Yeah. It, it's just the way it's put into the use luck and prosperity. Yeah. Your powerful friends will get it for yeah. you. Yeah. Sometimes it seems to be for benefit and other times this yeah. luck and prosperity seems to have a negative effect. So, yeah, it has that feeling of the incantation or spell or yeah. something like that. But whatever else he's doing, Mananan is definitely establishing his rank and power mm. over the foster son of the Dagda. Oh, yeah. Now, it is worth noting that in this section, Mananan is definitely calling himself Lord. And it's a very kind of Norman 
term. Not a term that would have been used. Not really. Well, not so much, but certainly the way that he means it is very much the the feudal overlord. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. After this, I think the real weirdness begins Mm. because um, something strange happens, something that's very particular to this story. Mm. It's not the the question that's odd. Mm. In fact, you might expect... Oingus to ask his mentor some sort of Dean Yannick's question yeah. because that's what you always test your poet with exactly is you ask them to read the landscape yeah. what he says is odd he says what is the reason this cairn of worship is so called I mean that really is the classic Dean Yannick's question you know we're standing at this place uh, the, the student usually says why is it called this and then the master gives the answer by reading it off the landscape yeah but it's not what happens I mean the answer he gives is, is just he goes on going you know Elkvar doesn't deserve a place like this mm. you know the, the only person I can think of who deserves a place like this is you mm. and if you take my advice and use the luck of and prosperity you could just summon him into your presence and tell him to go yeah and he'd have to go mm. the brew would belong to you mm. um i mean what he actually says in the text which is quite nice is we shall sit in the house which he made before elkvar and do you summon him to depart for that will bring to you good luck and prosperity and to him misfortune and adversity and exile. Yeah. Now there, the luck and prosperity is used as you normally use yeah. the words. Yeah. Then it gets even odder because yeah. this is not the Dinyanika style that we're accustomed to. No, it really isn't. I mean, Mananon's, if you like, version of Dinyanika's origins is to start talking about the one true God who's responsible for all of creation. And he talks about God creating all of these different orders of being and how, you know, there was the fall of Lucifer and then the fall of man. And the ten orders of angels. Yeah. It really is quite... It really is. Even though he says, we're not part of that creation... It still is sort of his response to a Dinyanicus question. As far as he's concerned, the Dinyanicus of that place is now the familiar Bible story, but he carefully says, though we are not part of that creation. Exactly, yeah. It's really odd. Therefore, we don't have to obey the Christian rules. Exactly. Now, Oingus quite rightly says that he couldn't possibly betray his foster father, Elkfer, and that that would undermine the whole idea of fosterage. But... Mananon's response, I find really shocking. I'm going to have to read this. Yeah. Stop that, said Mananon, for a king is nobler than a kingdom, a lord than the heir, and control is better than assisting, and assured means better than dolls. Your own will is better than your father's or mother's, or a request to either of them from behind their yoke. Yeah. Now, that undermines everything we've ever said about the early Irish law. It, what it has done is essentially destroy the core that keeps society together. All of the sort of trust and mutuality that is at the core of early Irish society, as we've seen before, just swept away in an instant. The idea that a king is nobler than a kingdom. I know. That's what the poet was there, to make sure the king never forgot. Exactly, yeah. That he was not more important than his kingdom. Exactly, yeah. And that means both the rest of his people and the land itself, saying that Mm. one individual is better than all that. It's so... Control is better than assisting. Yeah. Um, Your own will is better than your father's or mother's. Now, that's even against a commandment, let alone (laughs) against core and fosterage and all the rest of it. But it seems to be all right because it's Mananan saying it. And uh, And he's already said he's not subject to Yeah, but at the same time, this is like a bad Norman overlord. It really is, yeah. 
Uh, that idea that if you have control, might is right. It's shocking coming out of the, the mouth of Malanan, who wanted to conceive Mungorn yeah. to be the perfect poet, um, poet king. king. Yeah. And now here is Malanan saying, stuff that. Yeah. This is not the same Malanan. Certainly not. Well, somehow Malanan talks Oingus round to going and doing this, to wrest the power of the brew from Elkfer. And it's really... It's quite a heartbreaking scene when Alkvar sort of has to leave the brew. He's got no choice. And he says to his people, you know, he doesn't know what's going to come of this. It's really... He says, I don't know where you yeah. can go or what we should do. Exactly, yeah. It's really um, awful. He's nowhere to take them. Yeah. And um, poor Oingus, he's so horrified at what he's done. Mm. He runs after Elkvar and tries to reverse this. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, Elkvar, who it says has been drawn out of the brew as if he's, he's yeah. being dragged out. He's been pulled out by a sort of invisible hand. Yeah, it's odd the way it's put. Yeah. But he, he says, I can't come back. Yeah. And neither Oingus nor Elkvar can reverse this incantation spell of yeah. luck and prosperity. Exactly. Whatever it is. Yeah. Oh, it makes you shiver. Mm, horrible. I mean, this is it's such a sort of shocking story. I mean, maybe just go over what we've got so far. I think the most shocking element is this breaking of Fosterage. Oh, it is just... And it says so clearly that's it for the institution of Fosterage forever. No longer reliable. Well, that's what Oingus says. Yeah. I think I also find quite difficult Malanan's Apologia for Christianity. Yeah. It's just so odd that he's he's being used as a... As a, a mouthpiece, almost, for yeah. saying that this is the true picture of the world. Anything mm. bad... Yeah is nothing to do with Christianity, yeah. it's attached to the other world. Exactly, yeah. I think that's what's happening. Yeah. And you've got the definition of these two worlds is now separate. Absolutely. We saw a little of that earlier we in did. the previous story. Yeah, in, in the, the Sherrick Yeah. But here it's stated, Yeah. Um, the lordship of Malanan being so feudal oh, yeah. makes the story definitely post-Norman. It really does feel very post-Norman. And yeah. now you've got what seem to be undefined spells rather than the wonderful verbal trickery yeah. that's used, the Legal trickery. Exactly. I yeah. really shouldn't say verbal trickery. It's legal trickery. Yeah. That the Dagda's so fond of using. Exactly. No, this is very, very different. Well, I mean, you know, maybe we'll come back to this later on. Try and compare it to the version that we're more familiar with from Aideen and Mither. Well, I suppose there is one tale we could look at for a bit of light relief. Oh yes. Please. And I mean, this one's a storyteller's dream. Yeah. No, it's quite a late story. It's collected in Standish O'Grady's Silver Gadelica. The general style of it, it feels all oh, no earlier than the 17th century. Well, it's certainly. I'm not 100 percent sure about the, the language, is, yeah. but it's certainly within sort of early modern Irish. Now, this is a tale that is known as the Car. Quail now, I know it in English as O'Donnell's Kern. Yes. What's a Kern? Isn't well, it some sort of outlaw, isn't it? Well, certainly the, the English word seems to be a borrowing from the Irish, this Cairnuc. Um A Cairn is some kind of warrior band. Um, sometimes it becomes a band of outlaws. So a Cairnuc is a member of one of these Cairn, and the Cairnuc Quail Reevuk then is the Kern or the bandit with the narrow stripes. So the bandit with the narrow stripes, yeah. that's what we'll go for. Yeah. <laughs> right, well the whole thing begins in Ballyshannon, which isn't too far away from here. Nope, it's just up the road. And O'Donnell is having a party. Mm -hmm. I love the way it's described there. It's applied and plied with the new of all meats and with the old of all liquors. Yeah. Brilliant great. storyteller phrase. Yeah, it comes up a few times in some of the stories from this period, so it was obviously, you know... I'm not surprised. It's a really good. Great, yeah. It gives you a picture of 
this wonderful party. And somebody, of course, says, oh, there's no better house and company than this. Dangerous thing to say. It really is. <laughs> it reminds me of the opening of um, Fergus McLeish and the Loop of the Book On. Yeah, that later story where, again, someone says, this is the best house ever, isn't it? And they say, everything mm, goes wrong. No. <laughs> <laughs> when you start boasting, it all goes wrong. Yeah, exactly. Oh. But then into this party comes the Kehrnach wearing his narrow stripes. And it's got this wonderful, very backlog kind of description of how he's dressed. Yeah, I love this. The puddle water plashing in his brogues, his lugs through his old mantle protruding both a moiety of his sword's length, naked sticking out behind his stern, <laughs> while in his right hand he bore three limber javelins of Hollywood chard. Yeah. It just really goes so That's well. brilliant, yeah. Well, it turns out that they questioned the gatekeeper, and it certainly wasn't him who let this Kernock into <laughs> their very select party. Um, and in fact, the Kernock says, oh, I just come and go as I like. I, I only do what I like, you know, very... Yeah. Adolescent. <laughs> <laughs> no, I love the way he calls he calls himself a ranting, rambling, roving blade. Am I? Yeah. And then O'Donnell, trying to you know play the good host, asks him where he's come from. What he says is, "Oh, my use and want is to be in Islay one day, Cantar in another, a day in Man, a day in Rathlin, and yet another on Sleeve Khan. For a ranting, rambling, roving blade am I, and thou, O'Donnell, art he that for the present has a hold on me." Yeah. In other words, you know... I'm here for now. Gives well, me what you got me. <laughs> it's absolutely brilliant. It is. You know, it's one I really want to work to telling. Oh, yeah. Well, for the entertainment of this interesting guest, O'Donnell asks all of his musicians to play music. But... Uh, this Karnak can't take that very long. He says, stop, stop, stop. And he says, this sounds like all the demons of hell. And he makes up these very strange names for all these demons. And it's a long list of fake demons. It is, yeah. And it's all the hammering in hell. And that's all it sounds like to me. So then it's sort of, well, can you do better? So the Karnak then plays what is essentially a real suantraga, the sleep strain that would put everybody, even wounded men and women in childbirth to sleep. And then O'Donnell describes that music as like the music of this whole list of kind of made-up fairy lords, you know. Yeah. So we've got these lists of kind of outlandish names, you for know. demons and outlandish names for, for fairy lords. Yeah, you know, yeah. It is fairy, not otherworldly. Yeah, very case. much so, yeah. And, uh, yeah, he's quite impressed with this guy. Yes. He wants to keep him. Yeah. He, he offers him all sorts of gifts, offers him a suit of clothes. Oh, yeah, very posh clothes, but <sighs> no, no. way, he's not having that. And he tells him, I'm going to yeah. Laney the next day. Yeah, the Karnak basically won't be kept. And O'Donnell gets worried that he's going to lose him, so he plays huge amounts of guards around the household <laughs> but of course the Karnak basically gets the guards to start beating one another up it's very like kind of Bilbo and the trolls yeah well he taunts one yeah and uh, so, so he, he tries to hit him yeah but every time the guard tries to hit him back yeah he hits a different guard yeah and then so that, that just escalates into your classic barroom brawl <laughs> so in the end all O'Donnell guards are lying in a big circle in the, in the middle of the room having knocked each other out yeah with the Karen standing there, yeah. quite untroubled. Exactly. He says, do you know, shall I make better? And he gives some herbs to yes. rub on their gums. Yes. <laughs> and they all get up again perfectly okay. Exactly. And uh, next time O'Donnell looks round, he's vanished. Yep. Well, now the story moves to Limerick, or a little bit outside of Limerick City, in what's now Knockany or Knockania. And now it's with someone called Mac and Irla. And once again, this Cairnuk just appears in the middle of the house.
house in the middle of McInerla's house. Um, this time he gives a name, but the name he gives is Dorton McDorton, which is, kind of seems to be a nonsensey type name. Mm-hmm. Um, but he still describes himself as the roving, rambling, rambling blade, blade or, or something, something similar on those lines, yeah. exactly. But he gives the exact route that he took from well, Ballyshannon. We, we like that. Yeah. We recognise the journey. Yeah. So he comes down from Ballyshannon to Sligo, mm-hmm. which you could, through Kishkoran, yes. which you could, through the Curlews, which is the right direction, yeah. uh, to Moylook, which is here. Which is here, yeah. And then down to Crookan, which is Roscommon, yeah. the ish task. Yeah. And to my Mokrava, of course, the plain of pigs. Yeah, and then down to Tomond, which, which is North Munster. Yeah, and finally arrives. Yeah, at... so it's a it's a mappable journey. Let's it say. definitely is. Yeah. yeah. Now Macanorla seems to have heard that this is some great musician, but when he presents this Kehrnock with an instrument, uh, he can't play a note. It's all dreadful. There's also a challenge about reading a book, and again, he can't make any sense. He says sense you're an educated man. We've heard you're yeah. a skilled man. You're exactly. a learned man. Yeah, but he can neither read. Not play music. No, so it's, he's not performing tonight, let's say, <laughs> until there's a threat of satire against him. And oh. then that changes his tune. He picks up an instrument and plays the most wonderful music they could ever have heard. And once again, it puts women in childbirth and wounded men into a peaceful sleep. Uh, interesting, one other thing he says while he's there, he tells uh, Nokanila that he's hunted on Nokaini with uh, Find, Oshin, Oscar, Gull, mm. Colin, and all, all of the Fenian. All the Fenian, yeah. Now, Jokida in Leinster has a bad leg. He's got loads of physicians around him, but none of them cure him. Mm. When all of a sudden he sees this soldier, it definitely says soldier mm. in narrow stripes. And he's just there, what does he say, crooning a ditty. Yes. Um, and he talks to Jokida and gives him all the same stuff as he's heard before. Yeah. One day in this place, one yeah. day in that place, but now I'm here. Mm. And he also adds this time that he was born in uh, Alachnari. Yeah, which is the Grian on Alach up in Donegal. He also changed his name. Yes. He now calls himself Cahill or Kian. Yeah. Whatever that means. Yeah. Now, he does say to the man with the bad leg, I'll heal you if you stop being mean. Yeah. And he has to promise faithfully that we'll give up his mean and uh, selfish ways. Yes. And once he's agreed to do this, the Cairn produces, oh no, what's the word? A salutiferous herb, whatever that is. <laughs> yeah, presumably some kind of healing herb. Yeah, the moment he gets this herb, I love the way his patient leaps up into the air and legs it so fast yeah. that his 12 doctors all run <laughs> along behind him and they can't keep up. Yeah. Uh, the Cathnock obviously catches up with him because he says, now look, your leg is healed, but if I hear you be mean or selfish again, I'll come back and I'll break both your legs. Yeah. And not even the physicians of the Fenians themselves were they still found alive. None of them could heal you. Machiocheta seems to be quite convinced. Um, well, he certainly promises to be good. Oh, yeah, he, he swears anything. But more than that, in gratitude, he offers this strange uh, Karanuk his daughter, um, <laughs> but also 300 horses, 300 cows, sheep, sheep and I pigs. S- I suppose that's to prove that he's no longer a miser. Yeah, exactly. It's it's partly that, you know, and then it's also partly to make sure that this sort of stranger won't come back and break both his legs, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Who'd want that? Yeah, but, but he accepts the daughter. He does, yeah, yeah. The Karen looks at, oh, she's a bit of a while. I'll take her off your hands, no problem. Now, Makyokita wants to throw a great feast uh, in honour of his new saviour. But what does the Kehrnick do? Only he 
likes it. He runs away <laughs> as fast as he possibly can, a hair over the fields, and is never seen in those parts again. <laughs> yeah, no smoke yokita left. So all you can do is make a prose poem. Yes. <laughs> but I just like the way that, you know, first the sick man runs away. Yeah, yeah. And then this the, time, instead of disappearing, yeah. the cairn runs away. Yeah. The next day finds him back up in Sligo with O'Connor. Yes. Now, once again, he just appears out of nowhere and he just all the normal things are saying. One day I was in Rathlin, one day I was in Matt, and all the rest of yeah. the things he says. And uh, then goes on about him being a rambling, rolling blade. Yeah. He goes through the same procedure mm-hmm. every time. Mm-hmm. Uh, this time he gives his name as Geladay, the yeah. servant of God, which, which is odd. very interesting, yeah. But it's also interesting that, that O'Connor of Sligo is just about to go to war with Munster. Yeah, and what it says is really very curious. It's that they're avenging the Connacht Kalyach's basket against the monster Kalyach. Yeah. And this is just so odd. There's no sense of what went wrong with the basket. Well, it's just once or twice in this story. Mm. I've got the feeling that whoever put this story together in its current form also knew the story of Mongan and Duflaka. Yeah. The conception yeah. of Mongan. Yeah. And all that stuff about the Kalyaks yeah. comes into that. There's one or two other things. I haven't picked up on them as we yeah, go along. Yeah. But there are one or two things that make you think that, that the person who put this together might well have had that story as part of his repertoire. Yeah, yeah. Which seems so all right, yeah. Uh, more than that, we just don't know. No. Now, the Kernock agrees that he will be O'Connor's mercenary, if you like, on the condition that he is not treated unfairly. And so O'Connor says, yep, yeah, fine, whatever. So they succeed in getting all the way down to Munster. They manage to drive off the two speckled cows and the hornless bull belonging to the Munster Kalyach. <laughs> it gets very confusing. It does, and this is going to be the reparation for the Connacht Kalyach. Um, and so they set off to try and get these home again. Of course, they're being chased by all the monster men. Exactly, yeah. Well, you would, wouldn't you? But the Garnock does say then to O'Connor, right, would you rather that I drove the cattle while you keep off all the monster warriors or that I keep back the monster warriors and you drive the cattle back? He chooses, you keep the soldiers away. Yeah. You keep the monster soldiers away. So the Cairn just picks up a bow and arrow and shoots nine dead with one arrow. Mm-hmm. The trouble is, while he's doing this, the Connacht men find that they can't move the cattle more than an arrow's flight yeah so they just can't get away mm. they can go no further mm. than the can can fire yes and this isn't helping no not at all <laughs> so the says to them well you're not doing very well would you rather i drive the cattle so they go, yeah, you drive the cattle. Well, he's driving the cattle back to Sligo, but meanwhile, O'Connor's men are all getting slaughtered by the monster men because yeah. they can't move. Yeah. <laughs> so it goes like this all the way to Sligo. He does one job, yeah. then he comes back and does the other job, yeah. and then eventually they get back. Yeah. I have to say, O'Connor's not particularly impressed. No. <laughs> Once they finally get back to Sligo after all this toing and froing, uh, O'Connor seems to be awfully hot and bothered. And the first thing he does <laughs> is he goes and he gets himself a huge drink. However, the Cairnock sees this as a tremendous insult and says that that's not being treated fairly, so now he's going to leave. And what's more, he hasn't done being treated fairly all the way back because he's exactly. had to do both jobs. Exactly, yeah. So it's... he kind it's of broken your contract. Yeah, but it's all, it really feels like that excuse, very much like Macandav used to get Mungon out of Brandov's court, you know, saying, oh, you haven't offered him a drink, we're mortally offended, now we're going to leave. leave. With yeah. the treasure. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, you know, it does have that parallel. Yeah, and again, there's another example yeah. of this... Uh, the same motives being yeah, used. I think so, yeah, certainly. You know, there's definitely, it's not a connection between the stories. No. But it definitely seems as though both stories are part of the same storytelling. Yeah, yeah, I would say so, certainly. Yeah. So then the Karnak, he 
pronounces a satire on O'Connor for having made this bad decision and then he disappears. He's gone again. Yeah. Next day, or whatever, he meets Tygo Kelly in a non-specific location. Yeah. He doesn't give a name either, but he does say he's a good conjurer. Yeah. And he says, I'll show you a trick for five marks. Yeah. So he says, well, if I put three rushes on the back of my hand, I can blow them and the, the middle one will blow away, but not the other two. And they go, oh, go on, show us. So he puts his fingers on the two outer rushes mm. and then blows the middle one. Yeah. And, of course, everyone says that's cheating. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah. And one of the serving men says, well, I could do that. Yeah. <laughs> so he says, go on, show me. Do you do it then? And so the serving man or the soldier, I think... It's you know, another Kaharnak. It's another mercenary. Yeah. And so when he places the three rushes on his hand, but when he tries to put his fingers on the outer two, his fingers go right into his hand. Yeah. And he's not very happy about no. this. And uh, the Kaharnak turned around and goes... Well, he didn't do that very well. I can do better than that. <laughs> yeah. He heals him. Yeah. But it's extremely embarrassing. It is. And it's, again, this weird thing that the stranger does this pub trick. Yeah. And then when the non-stranger tries it, something really bizarre yeah. And happens. that happens again. Yeah. The second thing, he says, all right, well, give me another five marks. I'll show you yeah. a better trick. So O'Kelly gives him another five marks. Mm-hmm. And this time uh, he says, I can wag one ear at a time. I can wag one ear without the other ear moving. Mm-hmm. So he says, well, go on, show us. So this time he puts one hand on one ear mm. and holds it while he wakes the other ear with his fingers. Yeah. The other Kathanak says, that's a load of rubbish. I can do better than this. Mm. Go on, try it, he says. And this time, as the other Kathanak, the other um, mercenary, uh, holds one ear and pulls the other ear with his fingers, he pulls his ear off. Ah. Yeah, oh, and again, the guy oh. says, you're not very good at this, are you? <laughs> And again, he heals him with a hurt, yeah. but it's been extremely embarrassing. Know, well, not to mention probably painful and very uncanny. <laughs> he pulls it in with his fingers just comes off in my hand. hand. <laughs> like that when I got yeah. here. But it gets even better. Mm-hmm. In the third feat, he says, I'll show you something really exciting. And so he does what is effectively, as far as I know, the first ever Indian rope trick. Yeah. He takes a silken rope out of his pocket and he throws it up into the air and it just seems to stick on a cloud. Yeah. At that, he goes to a bag and he takes out a hair. He sends the hair up the rope and it disappears into the cloud. Mm-hmm. Then he takes a dog out of, I presume, not the same bag. Does and the, same bag? the little dog is sent up the silken rope and it two disappears into yeah. the cloud. At that point, he thinks, oops, shouldn't have done that. <laughs> that was uh, my bad. I mm-hmm. bet you anything you like, the dog's chasing the hare. Yeah. Okay, I'll do something about this. So again, out of somewhere, out yeah. of a bag, he seems to produce a dog boy, this yeah. young man that he sort of sends up the rope. Yeah. And he says, make sure you keep the dog away from the hare. Then he thinks, oh, that's not going to work. So he, he gets a, a young girl, mm. out of, a young woman out of another bag yeah. or from somewhere and sends her up the silken rope. Mm. And then after that, there's all sorts of noises coming yeah. out of the cloud. He says, oh, that's not working. No, do you hear that? The dog is eating the hair and I think the boy is making love to the girl. Yeah. So I don't think anything's going to work. So he tugs the rope mm-hmm. and down they all come. Yeah. But what comes down is the boy and girl embracing yeah. and the dog eating the bones of the hair. Yeah. Now, he then pretends to be really mad with the boy mm-hmm. and chops his head off. Yeah. <laughs> At this point, O'Kelly's going, I don't like that. Yeah. No, no, no. I don't want to see something like that in front of me. Oh, all right. Well, you didn't like that one, says, says the Ken. I'll put it right. So mm. he picks up the head, puts it back on the boy, but he puts it on backwards. <laughs> yeah. So he's facing <laughs> the wrong way. Yeah. O'Kelly is even more horrified. He says, look, you might as well be dead. Yeah. Better dead than with your head back to front. Yeah. Do you think so, says the Ken, and turns it round. Yeah. Then at that, he doesn't wait for anything else. He just yeah. vanishes again. Yeah. 
But I think that's amazing. The it first is. Indian road trip. Absolutely, yeah. Well, the next place that the Cairda Quaeriva pops up is back over in Leinster. Mm-hmm. But this time he's with the King of Leinster, who's McMurrah Kavanagh. Yeah, but now he's got another name for himself. Isn't mm-hmm. he? He's calling himself the Giladaka. Yeah, and that means the troublesome servant. And he is, too. Yeah. He turns up and he's listening to the part players playing their music and he just holds his hand over his ears and goes, That's revolting! It sounds like the hammers of hell! <laughs> Only the string players take umbrage at this. Well, yes. <laughs> and the first one tries to cut him in two. Now, just imagine, he, whatever he picks up, a sword or something, cuts him in half, and he finds he's cut himself in half, which yeah. is a bit embarrassing. It <laughs> is rather an extreme slip of the hand, I would say. Well, the others try it too, and they also cut themselves in half. Yeah, you would think after the first couple met with that fate, they might have thought about it again, but no. <laughs> well, the king's a bit upset about this, because <laughs> the Giladaka doesn't seem to bother at all, so he sentences him to be hanged. Yes. They take him out and hang him, and then they discover by some sort of removal of glamour that they've actually hanged not the Kathanach, mm. but the king's closest companion. Yes. Well, they have another gun. <laughs> Same thing happens. Yeah. They do this three times, and each time they've actually hanged the king's closest companion. Yeah. The Giladaka next morning, he goes, look, I'll make them better for mm. you. And he plays music, and they're all healed. Yeah. Yeah. So he shows he can play better music. Well, yes, but also, you know, that thing that his music is so good, it cures hanging and bifurcation. So <laughs> yeah, I'm just trying to visualise it. Are they cut in half in some way that they just fall into two separate sections? Yeah, I keep thinking cheese wire. So much for the Gilladacker, as he is then, uh, the Cairn of Quailrivac in Leinster. The next place he pops up is in Kelskira, which is said to be in County Meath, and he's at the house of Shane O'Donnellan. But all it says is that he eats a meal and then he leaves that's it that's a bit abrupt that's, and that's the end of the right. whole wondrous wandering as if i forgot the next bit yeah uh oh god yeah that's it he just eats a meal and goes bye that's yeah. the end of the story exactly mm. well it is abrupt but there is one kind of little extra coda that we get only in the egerton 166 version and after that bit with o'donnell and, and uh, the meal it says and there we have the wanderings of Mananon maglear and, you know, that's the only time that it's even suggested that it's Mananon. Yeah. And it, I, I'm sorry, but it sounds like an addition. It, who else could it have been? Yeah. It must have been Mananon. Yeah. And this is quite a late story, too. It is. That? And the fact that it's only in one version. And it's just like a postscript. Odd. Yeah. Very odd. It is. Whether this was originally about Mananon or certainly became known as the mm. story of Mananon. Yeah. If so, our maritime lord of all the she has certainly changed and evolved, but in a very familiar way, just the stories of the Dagda or, yes. you know, the Gabon Ser, yeah. We'd found that stories of the Dagda and Oingus, kind of via Gaivnu or via the name of Gaivnu at least, became these wonder stories, the Wondersmith and his son of Gabon mm-hmm. Ser and his son. But we found they were very clearly still Dagda stories. Yeah. And this has that same quality, it does, doesn't it? Yeah. It's very playful. It is. I find it interesting that in this story, the character of the Carada Quailrivac, like Mananon at the beginning of Altrum Tigadal Vether, does a circuit of Ireland. But what was pointed out when uh, I was studying this as part of early modern Irish in university is that the journey is Tuahal. It's yeah, uh, yeah. anti-clockwise or Withershins. Because he starts in Sligo, he goes down to Limerick, down the west coast to Limerick, then across to Leinster in the east, back up to Sligo, back to Leinster and then finishes in at Meath. So it's kind of like this anti-clockwise spiral. I suppose he's not, he's no longer making it as a king. Exactly. He's now 
a wandering wizard, yeah. an entertainer, a healer, and a mercenary, and a musician. Yeah, and if this is a story of Mananon, then those are all of the things, really, that we would expect to find, according to our criteria that we laid out yeah, about well, another world hero. Well, one thing I do know is it's a great storyteller's tale. Oh, it is. And I love the bit with the sort of the original Indian rope. I know, yeah, that's pretty cool. Right, well, we did go to have a look at the story which is called the Giladacher, because after all, in the Karnak Quail Rebek, as we've just seen, he refers to himself as Giladacher at one point, as this troublesome servant. That's a Fenian tale, isn't it? It is, yeah, yeah. I love it. It's a sort of rather irreverent Fianna Imrov. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In fact, I think it's such fun that it might even be worth adding it as an extra episode to this rather already rather long series. (laughs) Yeah, a little bit of light relief after all this, certainly. Well, yeah, Yeah. I think so. I think we deserve something a bit more um, light-hearted. And it's very funny. It is. The trouble is it's definitely not about Mananam, not in the slightest. No, the only thing is this passing reference that says that Dermot of the Fianna was a foster son of Mananon and that he happens to possess one of Mananon's magical staves. But that's all there is to it. There's yeah. no Mananon as a character appearing in the story. No. And there's another story which is of a similar type, which Lady Gregory, for example, added to her section on Mananon. Appearances of Mananon. Exactly, yeah. yeah. And which has been taken as such. It's the Budok in the Drab coat. Now, Budok, as I've said before, refers to someone being a male member a prick, but is usually translated as a carl or a churl. Yeah, so a um, rough peasant. Exactly, yeah, yeah, yeah. And again, it's another lovely story, but there's just there's no trace of Mananon in it whatsoever. The Bodoc says he's the king of the Shea of Rathcrafton, doesn't Yeah, they? yeah. And interestingly enough, and the story we've dealt with several times, yeah. one of my favourite stories, the story of Nero, yeah. he um, upsets the king of the Shea of Rathcrafton, yeah. right? because the king says that he can't go or he has to work for the woman. Yeah. Now, obviously, there is a, a king of the Shea of Rothcroft. Yeah. And maybe this is the one who acts as the bodock of the drab coat. Yeah, yeah. But it's not man and arm. No, it really isn't. I mean, there are one or two other stories that we really haven't got time for that mm. are supposed to reference man and arm, but the trouble is every time you look at them, he sort of disappears. Yeah. They're either, it's presumed to be man and arm, mm-hmm. or they're very late, mm. Or they're just sort of retrofitted. Yeah. It doesn't seem to be anything else. No, well, I mean, I went to our old friend, the Metrical Dantianicus, and I only found two references. Only two? To Man and Yeah, and one of them is really just a glancing reference. It's not really a story about him. But we should definitely talk about the Dantianicus of Tuag Inver. Yeah, where's is, that? Now, that is the mouth of the River Ban, which is up in the northeast of the country. Northeast so, again. Yes, North Antrim. The Ban empties basically into the North Atlantic there in North Antrim. Well, probably the best way of telling this story is mm. if I just read a sort of paraphrased version of the story. Yeah. It's probably the easiest way. Mm-hmm. So this is the Dinhianicus of Turgimver, slightly simplified. Lovely grey-watered Turgimver. Do you know its legend? Have you heard the tale of Radiant Turg? Dazzling Turg, Connell's daughter, was fostered by Connera. Dear was this nursling to Ireland's king. A company of maidens was set to tend her. For fifteen years he reared his niece. No man, dark or fair, would he permit to see her. When of age for wedding, wooed she was by many kings. And Malanan too, he loved her, loved her with a first love. Mananan dwelt northeastward of Turgimver. A messenger he sent to tell his love, one Furfi, the Donan poet, and his foster son. Furfi, the druid, took another shape, 
As a travelling servant girl he went, and reached the bright bar where the girl was found. Three days he stayed in Tara, joining her company. Then under cover of a sandy night, he sang a potent spell to make Tuag sleep, and carried her away on his strong shoulder, carried her away to the edge of the land. He laid her sleeping on the shore, and went to find a sturdy boat. The tide flowed in while he was gone drowning the maiden where she lay. As for Fafi, Malanan killed him, although this action was not just. Famous Inver Glasgow was once its name, but since this love of Malanan's was lost, it has been known as Tuagimba. I find it interesting that once again we have Malanan coming from the northeast, you know, here's the mouth of the River Ban, which is right up kind of northeastern corner mm-hmm. of Ireland. He always does, doesn't he? He always does. And I mean, all these islands, Man and uh, Isla and Kintyre, they're all northeast of Ireland, mm-hmm. you know, so to get to them, you would go up to North Antrim. Yeah, either the Isle of Man or yeah. the Inner Hebrides. Exactly, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's all northeast. We keep finding that again and again. Now, we found a couple of times looking at these at Imrova that there's an assumption that an Imrova always heads west, mm-hmm. that all the islands are off to the west. And we found a couple of places where translators have actually corrected mm-hmm. east to west because everything has to be to the west. But that's really not the case. There are are some of the Imrava, as we've seen, that do head out to the west. But Bran McFevil starts from mm-hmm. Derry, which is up on the north coast. Snegus and McGregor also start from there. I suppose it's that they were very aware that there were a lot of islands up that way as well. Exactly. Well, yeah, they, these are real islands that, with which they would have had a lot of commerce. So you've got mythical islands mixed in with real ones. Exactly, yeah. Anything else? There is a story of Malanon connected to Loch Corrib. It's not within the metrical Dynianicus, but it is a Dynianicus story. And Loch Corrib is down in Galway, my Cullen area. Uh, we have a few friends who mm-hmm. live down there. Um, and it is a death tale of Malanon. And it's, it's quite a, surprising. It is it? a bit, yeah. So suddenly. He's, he's mortal. He's mortal, yeah. But the, funnily enough, the story is that he's buried kind of standing up. Yeah. and that the lake erupts around him. There are several stories of that kind. Mm. There's the Druid of Loch Key, mm-hmm. and other people who get buried standing up. Yeah, it's yeah. also to do with protection. Yeah, But the lake breaking out, mm. it's almost as though, well, that's a typical way for a lake to begin. Exactly, yeah. Similarly, on the same kind of theme, there is the story of Tom Cleaner, Cleaner's Wave. Mm-hmm. It really is so close to the story of Tua Ginvar. They're more or less the same story. They, they really are, they feel like the same story. Yeah, it just strikes me that it's clear that Malanan comes from over the sea. Yeah. Therefore, anything that involves the sea, it's sort of assumed that it must be about Malanon. Yeah, yeah. It's very interesting the way he has accrued these stories, Mm. but they actually don't seem to include him. Exactly, and that's where you get that sort of postscript or the note saying, and this must be Malanon. Even sometimes when it's clearly not. Mm. I have to say I'm beginning to get a little bit concerned about what we've found out about Malanon. It's all turning out to be very patchy. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we've found a number of stories, but... We haven't really found much substance of Man and On. He doesn't seem to be critical to the stories, if you like. They don't even seem to belong to him. No, he seems to have been kind of transposed into other stories. Except for Rob Brown. In that one, he is absolutely It's It's quintessential story. It really is, and yeah. It seems to me that it's such a strong story that his personality is leaked into lots of other stories yeah. from that one story. Yeah. I'm beginning to think that 
we can't really finish talking about Mother Nan, that what we need to do is bring Mither into the equation. Yes. Mither, who's almost like the landlocked equivalent of Mananon. Yeah. And as we saw with things like Altrim Tigadol Vether, there was Mananon playing a role in a familiar story that had been previously played uh, by yeah, Mither. We ought to look at the stories of Mither much more closely yes. before we finish off what we want to say about Mananon. Yeah, yeah. But you know, I think maybe we ought to leave this one as a cliffhanger. <laughs> You're going to have to find out next time. Yeah, otherwise the whole thing's going to get far too long. Oh, yes. <laughs> but we'll try and get the next episode out as quickly as we can. Yeah, not leave you hanging around for too long. Because so the next one, we need to look at Mananan in terms of Mither. Thank you for listening to Ogilaf Nanagus, conversations about Irish mythology with the story archaeologists Chris Thompson and Isolde Carmody. For more information or to subscribe, please visit www.storyarchaeology.com. You can get in touch via email on storyarchaeologists at gmail.com.